Tonight we're going to talk about what our Lord Jesus had to say about good and evil. And we're going to begin our study, and in fact, our whole study is going to be based on a parable that our Lord Jesus told, which is found in Matthew chapter 13. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to study a parable that has most of the aspects that we're going to study tonight about good and evil. Now this parable is known as the parable of the wheat and the tares. It is a very symbolic parable. In other words, it has a whole collection of symbols. And one of the neat things about this parable is that Jesus not only gave the parable, but he also gave the explanation to the parable. Now this isn't always the case. Sometimes Jesus will give a uh, parable and we have to uh, look in other portions of scripture to try and understand what the symbols of that parable mean. But this is not the case with the parable of the wheat and the tares. We have a very clear explanation as to what it means. Now there are some missing elements in the parable regarding the solution of the problem of evil. And what we're going to do tonight we're going to study the parable, and we're also going to add some elements which are not addressed directly in this parable, so that we can get a complete picture about the origin of evil, why evil exists today, and how evil is going to come to an end. Now I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13, and I would like to start reading at verse 24. We're going to read the parable first. And then we're going to try and seek the meaning of what Jesus was trying to teach. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But... When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. The question is, what does this parable want to teach us? We're going to find, in fact, that the parable has many lessons to teach us regarding the origin of evil, the existence of evil at present, and how evil will finally come to an end. Now, first of all, let's talk about who the good farmer is who plants the good seed. And uh, we'll come a little bit later on to the interpretation of Jesus but we want to look, first of all, at who the good farmer is, the good planter is, who planted the good seed. Go with me to John chapter 1, a text that we've read before. John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3. Here it's speaking about the creation of this world. And it's speaking about the creator of this world. And it says the following. In the beginning was the Word. You speak words, don't you? Remember that. You speak words. So it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Notice how this text begins. In the beginning... God, and then a little bit later on in verse 3, it speaks about this word, creating all things. Now, do you see the connection with Genesis 1 verse 1? 
Genesis 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So the word of John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3 is the same individual which is referred to in Genesis 1 because the order of events or the order of words is the same. In Genesis 1.1 you have in the beginning God created. In John 1, 1-3, you have, In the beginning was the Word who is God, and He created all things. So in other words, the Creator was Jesus Christ. Now the question is, what was the creation of Jesus Christ like? Well, the fact is that in Genesis chapter 1, seven times we are told that when Jesus created this world, He saw that it was good. You can read that in Genesis chapter 1. Seven times it tells us that God saw that what he had made and it was good. And incidentally in Genesis chapter 1 you find the formula constantly, then God said. So the God of Genesis 1 is speaking. And in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 this individual is called the Word. You speak words. Do you see the connection? In other words, the Creator was Jesus, and everything which He created was what? Was good, including Adam and Eve. In fact, it says that after He finished His work the sixth day, God looked upon His work and He saw that it was not only good, but very good. Now, Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God placed man as the ruler of this planet when he made him good. Let's notice Genesis chapter 1 and let's read verse 26 and then we'll read also verse 28. It says there in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then notice, Let them have dominion. Dominion means rulership. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then verse 28 repeats the same idea. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and what? Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So Jesus created everything good at the beginning, including Adam and Eve. And then Jesus put Adam and Eve as the rulers of planet earth, and particularly Adam, as we'll find in the New Testament. Now we notice in this story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13, that you not only have a person or a farmer who plants good seed, in this case, it's Jesus who plants good in this world, including creating Adam and Eve good. But the story tells us that there is also an enemy. Now let's go to the explanation that Jesus gives in this parable. Go to chapter 13 and verse 37. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is whom? The Son of Man. We just noticed that, did we? So he who plants the good seed is the Son of Man. Notice verse 38. The field is the world. And the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Were Adam and Eve sons of the kingdom? Yes. In fact, they were given rulership. Now you say, but they sinned. Yes. That's true, we're going to come back to that a little bit later. But even after sin, God still has good seeds in the world. Does he not? And the devil still has bad seeds in the world. Now, let's go uh, and notice who this evil one is. It continues saying in chapter 13 and verse 39, The enemy who sowed them, that is the tares, is whom? Is the devil. Now, let's ask the question, where did the devil come from? There are several things that are interesting in this parable. Number one, the evil one exists before evil people. 
Do you catch that in this parable? Because the evil one plants the tares, and the tares represent the sons of the wicked one. So in order for the wicked, wicked one to plant sons, he has to have existed before them. In other words, there is an evil person who existed before evil came into this planet. Another thing which is very clear in this parable is that God has absolutely nothing to do with the origin of evil. Evil was not planted by God. It was not planned by God. Evil, according to this parable, comes as a result of an evil individual planting evil seed. In other words, children in this world. Now the question is, where did this evil one come from? I don't know whether you've noticed in Genesis chapter 3, it's very interesting, the serpent just suddenly is there in the Garden of Eden. Doesn't say where he comes from. But you know that this is an evil force. Because this serpent, and really the book of Revelation identifies it as Satan, the great serpent, the dragon, and so on, who deceives the whole world, Revelation identifies this as Satan. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, evil just suddenly appears. The serpent is trying to convince Eve to disobey God. This indicates that an evil one existed before evil came into this world. Now, where did this evil one come from? How did he come to be in the Garden of Eden? Well, Jesus has the answer to this question. Go with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and remember we're still in the Gospels. We want to particularly take uh, most of what we're talking about from the Gospels unless Jesus sends us elsewhere in the Bible. Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. Notice what Jesus said about this evil one. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Where did this wicked, evil one come from? From heaven. Jesus says, I saw him fall from heaven. Now, because Jesus says that he saw this individual fall from heaven, he gives us permission to go back to Isaiah. Does he not? We've got to go back to Isaiah chapter 14, because Jesus is reminiscing on what happened in Isaiah chapter 14. You see, the Bible says that this being was once a covering angel in the very presence of God. He was in heaven. He was perfect in all his ways. He was beautiful. He was the leader of the angelic choirs. He was created to be a musician. In other words, there was no taint of sin in him, according to the Bible, when God created him. But he came up with the preposterous idea that he could rule the universe better than God. And he wanted to overthrow God from his throne. Let's notice Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Any connection with what Jesus said? I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven? Absolutely. Jesus knew his Bible. Jesus knew the Old Testament. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And you'll notice that there's a little uh, word that is used several times in this passage. It's the word I. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. In other words, he wanted to overthrow God from his throne, and he wanted to rule the universe. You know that the Bible tells us that the devil existed from the very beginning, even before sin came into this world. He was a liar and he was a sinner. Notice what it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 44. John chapter 8 and verse 44. Here we're told something very interesting about the devil, about Satan. Jesus is speaking to the people of that day, to uh, a certain group of Jewish individuals who were uh, there present, and he says the following, You are of your father the devil, 
and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. What does that mean, he was a murderer from the beginning? According to Jesus, is the mere intention of murder considered as murder? Yes. Is hatred towards our brother murder, according to Jesus? Yes. Now my question is, did Satan develop a hatred for God? Yes. In fact, you can read in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, that there was war in heaven. Lucifer and his angels, which were a third of the angels, were at war with Michael and his angels. And when you have war, you have revenge, you have hatred. In, in other words, the spirit of murder was in the heart of Lucifer, even in heaven. And so it says here, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks what? And he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So not only was he a murderer from the beginning, but he was also a what? A liar. Do you think that uh, this being Lucifer would have had to tell some pretty powerful lies about God to convince a third of the angels that they should follow him? We're not going to go into Ezekiel chapter 28 tonight. That's another passage that talks about this Lucifer being, this glorious being. But there it says that Lucifer gossiped about God among the angels. And he was able to convince a third of the angels that he was right and that God was wrong. Notice what it says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. The beloved disciple of Jesus who spent three and a half years with Jesus and actually leaned on the breast of Jesus in the Last Supper. I think he knew Jesus better than any of the other apostles. Notice what he has to say in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from when? From the beginning. Since when has the devil sinned? From the beginning. Now let me ask you, what is sin? Well, let's go a few verses earlier here in 1 John chapter 3. Let's go to verse 4. Let's see what John himself tells us right before this verse where he says that the devil has sinned from the beginning. Let's see how he defines sin. It says there in verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Or as the old King James Version says, sin is the transgression of the law. Let me ask you, what came first, the law and then Lucifer, or Lucifer and then the law? The law and then Lucifer. You say, how do we know that? Well, the law must have existed in order for Lucifer to transgress it. Because many people today say, no, the law, that's Moses. That's the Jews. That's Israel. But the Bible tells us that this being, Lucifer, sinned from the beginning. And John, the beloved disciple, tells us that sin is the transgression of the law. Now you say, but how did sin come into this world? We know the story. It's found in the book of Genesis. And Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, corroborates this story. The story of creation. The story of a literal fall of man into sin. The serpent came and tempted Eve. She fell into sin. Then she tempted her husband, Adam, and he fell into sin. And I want you to notice that when they gave in to the tempter's power, they lost their position as the rulers of this world and another one took the rulership function or the kingship function of the world. You say, how do we know that? Well, go with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, and verses 5 to 8. John chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 4, and verses 5 through 8. This is on the Mount of Temptation, when the devil is tempting Jesus. And I want you to notice what he says, starting in verse 5. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority, rulership, dominion, control, 
kingship, any way you want to put it, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For Now notice this. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Who delivered this kingdom into the hands of Satan? It was Adam. To Adam it belonged. But when Adam was conquered by Satan, the result is that Satan took dominion or rulership over the world. And this is the reason why Jesus called him the prince of this world or the ruler of this world in John chapter 12 and verse 31. And incidentally, we find a very interesting story in the Old Testament, just as a sidelight, in the book of Job, God celebrates this special meeting in heaven, and the representatives come before the presence of God, the representatives over all of God's realm, and interestingly enough, among the representatives from all over God's realm, who comes representing planet Earth? It says Satan. In fact, this is the first time in the Old Testament that the name Satan appears. The adversary, the accuser. He comes up there and he accuses Job and he accuses God for treating Job well. And so we find that according to Jesus, when Adam allowed himself to be conquered, Satan took over the rulership of this world. Now let me make something clear. Satan took over the rulership of this world, but he was not the rightful, legitimate ruler of this world. You see, Jesus was the true ruler of this world, and he had delegated that responsibility to Adam. Jesus still was the owner of the world, but now it had been usurped or stolen from Adam. Let me illustrate what I mean. 1991, Saddam Hussein from Iraq invaded the little country of Kuwait. Kuwait had no defenses against him. Saddam had a very powerful army. And you know the story. He went in. The king of Kuwait was deposed. The country was taken over. And there was no way that the king of Kuwait could recover his power because he was much weaker than Saddam Hussein. Now let me ask you, did Saddam Hussein have legitimate right, a legitimate right, to claim rulership over Kuwait. No. And yet was he in control of Kuwait when he conquered it? Yes. Was the legitimate king deposed as he conquered it? Absolutely yes. But he was not the legitimate ruler of Kuwait. He was a usurper. He had stolen what was not his. Now let me ask you, was it necessary for a more powerful force to come into Kuwait to deliver Kuwait from the usurper and return it to the legitimate king. Absolutely. Is that true also of this world? Yes. Satan took control of the world. He stole it from Adam. He was not the legitimate ruler of the world. And yet one more powerful than he had to come to planet earth to do battle with him and to take away the kingdom which Satan had stolen and return it once again to the legitimate owner, to man. Now it's interesting to notice how Satan proliferated his kingdom. Let me ask you this. Have you ever grown a garden? It's hard work, isn't it? Or do you think it's easy work? I'll tell you, it's hard work. I mean, you have to constantly water. You have to fertilize. You have to make sure that it has enough sunshine planted in the right place. You have to make sure that you take out the weeds. In other words, it's a lot of work to have a successful garden. Let me ask you, how much work does it take to plant weeds? <laughs> you know it doesn't take any work at all. You don't have to plant weeds. Weeds proliferate on their own if you leave them. All you have to do is have one little weed come into your garden, and lo and behold, your whole garden is taken over by weeds. Now how is it that the devil who tempted Adam and Eve proliferates evil in the world? Let me tell you how. He does it by overcoming people and having those people overcome other people and having those other people overcome other people. And these people become the instruments in the devil's hand, hands to proliferate the weeds or the tares among the children of the kingdom, among the wheat. Now let me give you some examples of this. First example is the case of Adam and Eve. Who tempted Eve? 
Satan. Who tempted Adam? Eve. You see, the devil didn't have to go and personally tempt Adam. You see, all he had to do was conquer Eve, and when he conquered Eve, he was able, through her, to go and conquer Adam. And this is the way that sin proliferated in the world. The children of the devil proliferated in the world. The tares grew in the world among those who are good. And incidentally, God also has in this world people that have given their lives to Jesus Christ. These are the good seeds. Only thing is, many times we think that there are less good seeds than tares because tares almost proliferate on their own. Now let me give you some biblical examples of the principle how the devil extends his power in the world. Notice 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. Let's notice one of the first tares that the devil planted in this world. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. This is speaking about Cain. Now if you study the book of Genesis, a few years ago I did a whole series like this from the book of Genesis. I know that many of you were here because I've seen your faces before at my previous meetings. But it's interesting that in Genesis you have the idea of two seeds, don't you? You have a righteous seed, which are the sons of the kingdom in this parable, and you have a wicked seed, which are the followers of Satan. We have the first instance of this in the story of Cain and Abel. Abel was God's seed. Even though he was a sinner, he had committed his life to Christ, and so he was a good seed. On the other hand was Cain. Whose was Cain? Notice verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one. Notice, he was of the what? Of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Notice that the devil uses Cain to kill his enemy Abel. We also find it in the New Testament. Notice, for example, in the book of John, chapter 6. John chapter 6, and let's read verse 70. John chapter 6 and verse 70. And of course, this is speaking about someone that we all know about, Judas Iscariot. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? Now who was that one who was a devil? Judas. But was Judas really a devil in person? Was he the devil? No. What was he? He was an instrument of the devil to further Satan's purposes. Let's notice that in John chapter 13 and verse 2. See, John 13 and verse 2 is going to explain how Judas is a devil. It says there in John chapter 13 and verse 2, And supper being ended... The devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. How is it that Judas was a devil? The fact that the devil put his plan into Judas's what? Into Judas's heart. This is the way the devil proliferates his evil kingdom. Now notice also, we are not going to read this at this moment, but I'll refer to it because we've read it before. John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus says to those who are gathered in front of him, You are of your father whom? The devil. Why? What did they want to do? They wanted to kill Jesus. At the end of the chapter, they're ready to stone him because Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Let's notice one more example. Acts chapter 13 and verse 10. Here it speaks about an individual called Elimus. And notice how the Apostle Paul addresses Elimus. Acts chapter 13 and verse 10. And said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Notice that Elimus is called by the Apostle Paul, what? A child of the devil. These are the tares. They are the evil ones that are planted by Satan that have the character of Satan in their lives that refuse to give their lives to Jesus to be converted. These are the instruments in the hands of Satan. 
Whereas the good seeds are like the other 11 apostles, the ones who commit their lives to Jesus, the ones who have been born again, those who try to defend the principles of Christ in the world. Now it's interesting to notice the type of kingdom that Satan instituted in this world when he took Adam's position. You know, as you look at the Gospels, you notice something immediately that you don't notice in all of the rest of the Old Testament. And that is the tremendous warfare that exists between Christ and the powers of darkness. As soon as the book of Matthew begins, Herod the Great, though we can't say that he writhed like a demon-possessed individual, he was the instrument in the hands of Satan because he gave this decree to kill all of the children two years and younger. Let me ask you, was Herod a tear? Yes, he was a tear. In fact, the devil tried to use him to kill Jesus. We notice, in other words, that the devil, from the birth of Jesus on, is trying to destroy Jesus, whereas Jesus is trying to proliferate the kingdom of God. And folks, let me say that the enmity of Satan was manifested against Jesus all 33 years of his life. You can read it in the Gospels. It was manifested against Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The devil was on his track, not only directly but indirectly through his evil angels and through the wicked individuals that he had gained on his side. He was constantly after Jesus. And as you read the Gospels, you notice the pathetic story of how the kingdom of Satan had become demonic, sad, destructive. Let's read a couple of passages that we find in the New Testament on the type of kingdom that Satan would have instituted in the universe. And you tell me if you would have liked to have Lucifer occupy the throne of God, thinking that he could rule, rule the universe better than God. Notice Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 and verses 1 through 7. And incidentally, in the Old Testament, you don't have, as far as I know, any examples of demon possession. Although undoubtedly there were some. But the Old Testament does not highlight any demon possessions. But as soon as the Gospels begin, people are filled with demons everywhere. The occult has sprung into action. Why do you suppose that was the case? Let me ask you, do you suppose the devil knew approximately when Jesus was going to be born? Do you think the devil knew where Jesus was going to be born? It's interesting, the devil knew, knew when and where, but the Jews didn't have the foggiest idea. Why? Because the devil, through his instruments, even the false ministers and the priesthood and the false prophets and the religious leaders and the elders of Israel who were supposed to be teaching the nation the principles of righteousness and teaching them to expect the Messiah, they had deceived the nation that Jesus came to save. They had become, in other words, instruments of Satan. Notice Mark chapter 5, and let's see what kind of kingdom Satan uh, would have instituted if God had allowed him to take control of the universe. Let's read verses 1 through 7. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of, Gad of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Notice the type of kingdom that Satan would institute. People who are deranged, out of their minds, sick mentally and spiritually, cutting their bodies, ripping out chains, foaming out the mouth. That is the type of kingdom 
that Satan was trying to institute when Jesus came to this world. Disease everywhere. Ethnic hatred. The Jews hating the Gentiles, hating the Samaritans. Violence, hatred, unhappiness, war, bloodshed. That's what the world was like when Jesus came to this world. The reason why all of these things proliferated as Jesus was going to come is because the devil knew that Jesus was coming to contest his authority. And the whole world of the occult, the whole world of darkness sprang into action to resist the authority of Jesus. Notice Luke chapter 9 and verses 38 and 39. Another story of how the devil worked in the days of Jesus. Luke chapter 9 and verses 38 and 39. It says here, Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth, and bruising him, it departs from him with great difficulty. And if you notice the parallel passage in the Gospel of Mark, it says that this young man would throw himself into the fire. He would throw himself into the water and try to commit suicide because of the spirit that took control of him. This is the type of kingdom that was going to be instituted by Satan if God had allowed him to take control of the universe. The people in the days of Christ believed that sickness came from God. Leprosy was the finger of God. Poor leper had to walk on the other side of the street, had to uh, isolate himself from society. And when he was walking down the street, he would have to cry out, unclean, 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 and nobody even came close to him. They thought that an individual was blind from birth because either he or his parents had sinned. In other words, the idea was that God enjoys making people sick. God enjoys making people unhappy. God enjoys taking away peace. God enjoys destroying sinners. God would never mix with the publicans and with the sinners and with the harlots. And the religious leaders, instruments of Satan, were the first to isolate themselves from society. Those who were supposed to represent God were giving a false image of God. And so now Jesus comes. And he's going to set the record straight. Notice John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And let's read verses 4 through 8. John chapter 14 and verses 4 through 8. This is a conversation that Jesus had with Philip. And actually, let's start reading at verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? In other words, everything Jesus did, everything he taught, who he was, revealed who the Father was. Those who the devil had made leprous, Jesus not only came close to and spoke clean, but he actually put his finger in the wounds and made them clean. The man who had been born blind, he says, forget this idea that God makes people blind because of their sins and the sins of their parents. I want them to have their eyes opened. Jesus taught that God even cared for a little sparrow that fell from the tree. He said, God even has the hairs on your head counted. And let me tell you, every day he has to readjust Elder Finn's count. <laughs> and mine, of course. Jesus taught through the story of the woman caught in adultery that God wants to forgive people even if they have committed adultery. Through the story of the prodigal son, he taught that the father has open arms waiting for his children to come home. Through the parable of the lost sheep, he taught that, that God sent his son Jesus to rescue this one sheep that had gone astray this world so that he could take this world back into the fold again. And Jesus, according to the Bible, cast out demons right and left 
to reveal that God did not want people under the control of Satan. This is what made the devil particularly angry, is the fact that Jesus was revealing to the world the true and genuine character of God. Notice what it says in Mark chapter 6 and verses 53 to 56. Mark chapter 6 and verses 53 to 56. If you don't think that that was a sick world that the devil had instituted through his dominion, notice what it says in this passage. Mark 6 and starting with verse 53. Pathetic sight. It says there, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry out on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the border of his garment and as many as touched him were made well. What an image of God. What a picture of God in contrast with the kingdom of Satan. Notice also, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24. And this site is even more pathetic because it gives us a list of the diseases that people suffered from. It says there, Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Would you have liked to have been there? Oh, there must have been some sight. All of these sinners who supposedly were being punished by God, now Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen what my Father wants. Now folks, the devil knew that Jesus had come to take away dominion, to take away the kingdom from him. I want you to notice with me a very interesting passage that we find in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, and verses 31 to 36. Do you think the demons knew why Jesus had come? You better believe it. And they were going to put up the fiercest struggle possible to keep Jesus from taking over the dominion. Notice Luke, chapter 4, and verses 31 to 36. Now, before we read this passage, allow me to remind you of that first Gospel promise that we find in the Bible. Do you remember what it says? I will put enmity. This is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. I will put enmity, God says, speaking to the serpent, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Do you see the connection with the parable that Jesus gave of the wheat and the tares? There are two powers and two seeds. And then it says in Genesis 3.15, God speaking to the serpent, He, the seed of the woman, will crush your head and you will only wound his heel. This is the first promise of the Bible as to how this controversy was going to come to an end. The seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, was going to crush the head of the serpent once and for all to deliver his people from the power of the enemy. The devil knew that. The devil understood the prophecy of Genesis 3.15, and he knew that Jesus had come to destroy them. How do I know that? Notice Luke chapter 4 and verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, now notice this, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? And now notice this. Did you come to destroy us? I know you, who you are, the Holy One of God. Interesting that the demon knew, but the Jews didn't have the foggiest idea. The devil had done his work well. But notice the fear of the demons. Have you come to destroy us? That's their deepest concern, that Jesus has come to destroy them and to take away the kingdom. In fact, if you read 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 
Now let's talk about the culmination of this battle. The devil did not leave Jesus alone even for an instant. He tried to overcome him in every way possible. The first thing that he tried to do was kill Jesus. Not only when he was born, when he had through Herod all of the children two years and less slaughtered. That wasn't the only time. There are other times, the Gospels don't say it directly, but knowing that the powers of darkness are manipulating events to try and get rid of Jesus because Jesus has come to take the kingdom away from them to return it to man, we can understand that these events were the work of Satan behind the scenes. For example, the Lord Jesus was once in a boat, sleeping, and the disciples were in the boat with him. They were awake. Suddenly this tremendous storm out of season because there were other ships out there on the Sea of Galilee. They would have never gone out if it was during rainy season, during storm season. But the fact is, there were many boats out on the lake and here Jesus is sleeping and this huge storm comes upon the lake. Who do you suppose caused that storm? Satan, because he wanted to drown Jesus. Once Jesus spoke some very unpopular words in the synagogue at Nazareth. He said, to whom did God turn in the days of Elisha? <laughs> to some Gentile people, to Naaman, and to a little widow. And he bypassed Israel. And of course, their ethnic pride got injured. And so the Bible says that they shoved Jesus out of the synagogue. They pushed him to the edge of the city, and they were going to throw him over a cliff. The Bible says that he disappeared. He walked through them where they couldn't find him. Several times during the ministry of Jesus, Jesus spoke some very unpopular words, like when he said, before Abraham was, I am. The Bible says that they picked up stones. They had every intention of killing Jesus by stoning. But the Bible says his time had not come. He disappeared from their midst. They could not see him. You see, the devil wanted to kill Jesus before he got to the cross. You say, well, if he killed him, then he would die for our sins. No, because Jesus had to voluntarily offer his life for sin. The devil could not take away his life. He had to offer his life voluntarily. The devil tried also to infiltrate Jesus with the virus of sin. We see it in the Mount of Temptation, tempting Jesus. And these were not the only temptations. He was constantly trying to lead Jesus into sin. But Jesus resisted his every move. The Bible constantly tells us that the devil tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Because the devil knew that if Jesus went to the cross, listen up now, if Jesus went to the cross, the devil knew full well that the price of sin would be paid for all of the world. And that that meant that eventually all of God's children would go home with him and they would regain dominion over the world. And that he would be destroyed. And so the devil said, I can't allow him to go to the cross, first of all, to not sin and then go to the cross and die, because if he dies, all sin is paid for, and he can bring his people home and give them the kingdom that I have now. I can't let that happen. And so he tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross. On the Mount of Temptation, he does it. He says to Jesus, listen, you, you think that you have to go to Jerusalem to suffer and to die? Come on. I'll give you an easier way. All you have to do is just for a little instant, you know, you bow down and you worship me and it'll all be finished. The whole kingdom will be yours. Yeah, right. The devil used Peter. When Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem, I must be mistreated, I must be crucified, I must be buried and resurrect the third day, Peter draws him aside and he says, Lord, don't be so pessimistic. Messiah doesn't die. Messiah rules on the throne of Jerusalem. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get thou behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking to Satan. The idea was that Jesus not go to the cross. And then the very next chapter, by the way, that's Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew 17. Jesus and three of his disciples are on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when Moses and Elijah appear talking with Jesus, Peter is so amazed that he says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's stay here. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's not go to Jerusalem, because they were on their way to Jerusalem. Let's good for us to be here, not there. It's a temptation for Jesus to stay. Some Greeks came to Jesus at, towards the end of his ministry. They wanted Jesus to go to Greece to preach his message. And Jesus says, no, not now. My face is like flint to the cross. 
Because if a seed falls into the earth and dies, it will bear much fruit. But if I don't die, no matter how much I preach to those Greeks, they're still lost. The idea of bringing the Greeks to invite Jesus to do a good thing was to distract him from his mission of going to the cross. Even when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the cup of God's wrath trembled in his hand, the devil tortured Jesus with fierce temptation, saying, look, your disciples are going to abandon you. Your disciples, in fact, right now are sleeping. Your work is going to be useless. You're feeling the wrath of your father because you're bearing the sins of the world. This isn't worth it. Pick up and go home where you're loved among your, the angels. Don't stay here. The idea was that he leave the world to perish. And even when Jesus was on the cross, the devil used people at the foot of the cross to say, if you're really the Son of God, come down from there. The devil led the multitudes to revile Jesus, to slap Jesus, to spit in his face so that Jesus would retaliate and the plan of salvation would be ruined. And when Jesus finally died, the devil wanted to make sure that he didn't resurrect. And so he placed all of these soldiers around the tomb. And believe me, he put some of his demons there in front of the tomb, had a large stone rolled in front, as if a few puny little soldiers and a few, few weak little demons and a little tiny pebble of a stone could keep the prince of life in the grave. Folks, when Jesus came out of the tomb and he said, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus had regained the kingdom of this world. And someday he is going to return it to you and to me if we are good seed and if we are given our lives to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Notice what it says in John chapter 12. John chapter 12 about this victory of Jesus. John 12 and verses 30 to 33. I want to show you that the death of Jesus was his greatest victory. John chapter 12 and verse 30. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. What was he referring to? Notice, yes, Satan was going to be cast out. What event was going to cast him out? Verse 33, this he said, signifying by what death he would die. The death of Jesus throughout the prince of this world. He no longer represents this world in the heavenly courts. The representative of this world is Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Now this parable also tells us how evil is going to come to an end. It tells us that the tares are going to be cut down and they're going to be what? Thrown into the fire. You know, Jesus amplifies this point in Matthew chapter 25. The tares represent the wicked. Now you say, what about the evil one who planted these tares. Well, notice what it says in Matthew chapter 25, and let's read verse 41. Speaking about those who are on the wrong side, they're on the left side, they're not the sheep, they're the goats, they represent the wicked. Then he will say also to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for whom? For the devil and his angels. So where is the devil going to end up? And his angels? In the fires of hell. Where are those who follow Satan going to, be, going to end up as well? They are going to end up in the fire. We don't have time to read this, but it's on your list. Malachi chapter 4 and verses 1 to 3 says that when the fire destroys, there will neither be left root nor branch. The root of evil is whom? Satan. And the branches or the tares are his followers. Not root nor branch. In fact, it says there that they will be reduced to ashes. Also, it tells us in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verses 18 and 19 that the devil will be reduced to ashes and he will be found no more. Now what about the gathering of the righteous? Did you notice that it says that God is going to gather his righteous into his barn and they will shine like stars forever? When does that gathering take place? Let not your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Who do you suppose he's making many mansions for? You think God is like some multimillionaires that have a summer home, a winter home, a spring home, a fall home, and he has to make mansions for himself? No! In my house, my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, that is, gather you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The battle's not over, folks. The worst is still to come. It tells us in Revelation chapter 12 that when the devil was cast out, when Jesus died on the cross, it says he has descended to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Folks, we are seeing in the world today the greatest proliferation of evil in the history of the world. Even in this great country which was raised up in God's providence. The proliferation of the occult, demon possession, young people hearing voices and killing people as they hear these voices. Diseases, famine, natural disasters, the change in the climate. The world seems to be falling apart at the seams. The reason is because the devil knows that his kingdom is going to be taken away because Jesus is even at the door. As the occult proliferated when Jesus came the first time, the fact that the occult is proliferating like never before in the world must mean that the devil knows that Jesus is even at the door, that Jesus is coming soon. The big question is not whether Jesus is going to come. The big question is, what side will you be on when he comes? Will you be a member of the wheat or will you be a member of the tares? We have to decide. And the only way that we decide is by giving our lives without reservation to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Because if we don't make a decided stand for Jesus, we belong to the other power. We can't be on the fence and say, no, I won't be, belong to Jesus and I won't belong to the evil one. The fact is that he does, who does not take a decided stand for Jesus is on the other side. How can we protect ourselves from the power of this demon who's making a disaster of the world and it will be worse than ever before in the history of the world? The Bible speaks of a time of tribulation such as never has been seen in the history of the world or never will be seen again. He's going to deceive, if possible, even the elect. He's going to proliferate disasters and disease. His temptations are going to be so powerful that it will appear that the, the elect are going to be deceived. How can we stand? We can stand by praying more than ever before. We can stand by putting God's word in our hearts, by searching the word, making it part of our lives. We can do it by defeating the devil in the name of Jesus. Do you know that when you use the name of Jesus in a legitimate way, the devil has to run? Because Jesus has given you power of attorney to use his name. The devil fears the name of Jesus. And folks, the only way that we can stand is by building on Jesus Christ the rock so that when the storm comes, we will be able to stand because we are built upon the rock. Do you want to give your life to Jesus tonight? Do you want to take a decided stand for his side? Do you want to raise your hand? If you say, I'm making a decided st stand to be on the side of Jesus tonight. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have not left this world in the hands of a malignant dictator. We thank you that you sent Jesus, and Jesus, through his death on the cross, has overcome the power of the devil. We know that the devil is making his last stand He's a wounded lion, and he's not going to go quietly. But we know how it's going to end. Eventually, sin will be eradicated, and you will create a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. We want to be a part of that kingdom, Lord. If there's anybody here this evening that has a struggle with the powers of darkness and has not given his or her life to Jesus, I ask that you will come and bring conviction to their soul, to their heart, and they might give their lives to Jesus before they leave this place tonight. We thank you, Lord, for having been with us, for having taught us tonight from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.